Hello and welcome to The Consistency Project with E.C. Sinkowski. My name is Patrick Cummings, and every episode I have the privilege of having a discussion with E.C. on subject matters that range from nutrition to fitness to the choices we can all make to live a healthier, more functional life. By exploring both the principles at play and the actions worth carrying out as a result, it's our goal to get you thinking, get you moving, and get you taking more consistent steps toward optimizing your well-being. Thank you so much for tuning into the show this week. Hello, how are you, E.C.? Good. How are you? Wonderful. I'm excited to talk to you about this. Uh, <laughs> from from the person who consistently says mm. anything and everything can be part of a healthy diet, you sent me a note about what we're talking about today, and you said this is the one food to avoid. So I'm excited to to pierce through the 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 facade. No, I'm just kidding. It's mm. not a facade, but I am excited to hear uh, what is the one thing. So let's let's dive right in. Let's, let's what are we talking about this week? Yeah. Yeah. In full disclosure, that probably is a little clickbaity <laughs> <laughs> of a title. Um, I think at this point, you know, you've already said it, that that people should know. I believe that any yeah. food can be part, keyword part of a healthy diet. Um, I still believe that, you know, I'm not into strict eliminations and restrictions, all that stuff. But, you know, if I had to pick one thing, you know, if I had to pick one thing for people to cut out of their diet, it would be sugar sweetened beverages. Mm. So that's what we're talking about today. Uh, I would just like to say, if we really wanted to be clickbaity, though, it would be like the one food that's killing you in your sleep <laughs> and will give your children three fingers or something like that. Yes. So we're, yes, we're far away, I think, far away from uh, typical internet clickability here. Okay. <laughs> okay, good. All right. Um, yeah, so sugar sweetened beverages. Now, again, to put it in the context of what you kind of mentioned, I, I want to be clear, are there people out there that drink regular soda or sugar sweetened juices? And are they healthy? Yes, of course. Can you work in soda, whatever type of sugar sweetened beverages, just as you would donuts or cookies? And it would, you know, be worked in with your mostly whole unprocessed foods, and you can get the calories, macros and micros, right? Yes, of course. And if you're one of those people doing that, more power to you, really. Mm -hmm. I would just sort of say from like a nationwide, I think even arguably global perspective, um, you know, nutrition's not going very well, mm. right? I mean, we've mentioned that before. And in so many cases, people are looking for these simple hacks, shortcuts, tips, solutions, you name it. And so from a, like a personal and even kind of societal perspective, to me, looking at eliminating sugar-sweetened beverages is almost like a no-brainer outlier, and, it, and it's not just looking again at the value of the food, it's looking at, okay, how does this food play out in terms of consumption across a larger scale? Got it, okay, so sugar-sweetened beverages, are we just talking about soda? Is that kind of like, is that, are we using a fancy term to just say soda? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, Soda is definitely the largest contributor to the sugar-sweetened beverage category. Mm. Now, I am not talking about the diet soda variations. We're actually going to talk about those in a bit. So we're talking about the full-calorie versions of sodas, Coke, Pepsi, Sprite, that type of thing. But in addition to those, sugar-sweetened beverages includes fruit drinks, sport drinks, energy drinks, sweetened waters, coffee and tea beverages when they have added sugars. And so that's why the sugar-sweetened beverages are a bit broader than just sort of like yeah. a classic Coke or something like that. Um, so yeah, so sugar-sweetened beverages are the largest source of added sugar to the diet, where a typical 12-ounce serving um, has about 35 grams of sugar and about 150 
calories. And I do want to point out that some of the sugar sweetened fruit drinks have more sugar than classic sodas. So it's important, again, to not get duped into marketing of seeing some fruit, whatever, and being okay, this is the better option, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, the beverage market is certainly exploding. There, there's tons of new beverages out there. There's going to be some beverages that are these lower calorie options. And are they truly diet? No, but are they actually a sugar sweetened beverage? I don't know, right? There are some healthier options. So there's still even within this category of sugar sweetened beverages going to be a, it's going to be hard to draw a line of defining exactly what it is. But in my mind, when I think sugar sweetened beverages, I'm thinking something along the lines that has that caloric value that I just mentioned about 150 calories per, you know, like 20 12 ounces, whether or not it's a a juice related product or Mm -hmm. whether or not it's more of an energy drink, whatever. Um, And so kind of why zeroing in on these, want to just touch a little bit on our consumption patterns with them. First of all, we're just eating too much added sugar in general, which is kind of the larger category of which sugar sweetened beverages contributes to. And, and basically, the amount of sugar sweetened beverages we are consuming is already at the suggested value of the total limit of added sugar, right? So we're if we're already hitting our added sugar amount from sugar sweetened beverages of lo- alone, and of course, then we're having added sugar from other foods that have, you know, added sugar in them. Um, to me, addressing the sugar sweetened beverages individually just makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so under the USDA dietary guidelines, they basically allot about 15% of your calories to be discretionary calories. You can think about these as the empty calories. I often describe them as the fun foods. But within these discretionary calories, um, they attribute them to foods that have, you know, the added sugar, alcohol or saturated fat. And so 15% would have to cover all of those sources. And so this is why their guidelines for added sugars specifically within that is to keep your added sugars less than 10% of calories per day. Mm -hmm. But realistically, once you break that down into looking at kind of diets on this 2000 to 2500 calorie per range, they really end up recommending added sugars around seven to 8% of the total diet. And 7% of calories is right where our average consumption of sugar sweetened beverages is. And again, Mm. we're going to be eating other foods besides sugar sweetened beverages with added sugar. So we're kind of already exceeding the amount of added sugars in the total diet. In fact, we're upwards of 13% of our calories are coming from added sugar. So again, when we're thinking, okay, we got to cut down on added sugar. Let's look at what we're eating that has added sugar in it. Yeah. Oh, sugar sweetened beverages are the largest contributor to that. It's kind of like a no brainer of, of why to focus on it. Right. Cause kind of like you make that one decision and you've, right. you've kind of uh, just by that one decision, you've kind of gotten yourself under, under that percentage that one would argue you should be. Totally. Instead of making like, okay, I'm going to do the cookies, but I'm not going to do whatever. I'm not going to do Frappuccinos. (laughs) Right. Totally. Okay. But um, why single out just sugar sweetened beverages? Because you just cut out all of the foods that contribute to the, right? Because we're just like, that's the, that could be the one big decision, but why isn't it just like cutting out added sugar? Mm -hmm. Like why, why isn't that the prescription? Yeah. I mean, you could say, okay, we'll cut out everything but the sugar sweet yeah, <laughs> beverages, right. cut out the cookies and the chip or whatever right. it is. Um, yeah, you could. You could. Strictly from a nutrient and caloric perspective, because it's not the sugar 
per se, the sugar molecules in sugar-sweetened beverages that makes them different. You know, the sugar molecules in these beverages is just a combination of fructose and glucose molecules, or it's the sucrose molecule. It might also be high fructose corn syrup, which is, again, just different formulations of glucose and fructose. Um, and so the sugar molecules that we find in sugar-sweetened beverages are the same molecules that we find in fruit or the same molecules that we find in cookies, you name it. So what makes these sugar-sweetened beverages different, and I'm sure our audience is going to be saying it with me in chorus a little bit, is the dose, first of all, right? It's so much easier to consume too many sugar molecules in a soda form than it is in fruit. And, and even arguably, I don't know, cake or something like that. Like it's, yeah. it's just more difficult to do. Now, on top of that, I would also say what's a little bit different about sugar sweetened beverages is we find that there's a clear impact of this one type of food. So, so many times you've heard me say like, it's never one thing. And mm -hmm. when we look at a whole diet, we have to look at all of the foods in it to understand what's going on. And that if we really add or remove a single food, we don't see a clear effect. But with sugar sweetened beverages, we do. When we add sugar-sweetened beverages to diets in controlled trials, people gain weight, both adults and children. And then when we remove sugar-sweetened beverages from the diet, they lose weight, again, both adults and children. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you that if we did these randomized controlled trials with cookies or chips, you don't have that same consistent effect because the person often just replaces that you know, excluded food with something else, where in sugar-sweetened beverages, we actually see this single unique effect. Now, in full disclosure, this effect of weight gain or weight loss is relatively modest in these mm -hmm. studies. Some of this is simply because we can't run these type of studies for years on end. But we also have to remember that the weight changes that we experience in adulthood tend to be modest. They tend to be these mm -hmm. one to two pound climbs each year. Yep. And so it's this kind of slow creep of caloric overload. Um, and so when you start seeing these consistent trends in weight gain or weight loss with the addition, and then you also know that we kind of just have a slow weight gain over time, it's like, okay, well, that's interesting. Um, but then still, it's like, okay, well, why does this happen with sugar-sweetened beverages and not, again, if we did this with cookies? Um, what's interesting about them is we don't seem to register the energy or the calories in them when we consume them. Mm. We don't seem to be as satisfied mm. with sugar-sweetened beverages. We don't feel full. And so it, so it's it seems like they don't count. <laughs> it kind of feels like, like they, they don't count. count. Yeah. I mean, it feels I get like they that. don't yeah. count. It's like they just get added on top of what we're eating. They don't doesn't push anything out. When you eat cookies, you might not eat the cake, but when you eat cookies, you still often can drink the Coke with the cookies, right? It doesn't become a trade out. And so there's this interesting study that I'll put in the show notes, which basically gave groups different drinks and the drinks had different properties. And then they measured after you had this drink, how much food did you consume? Mm -hmm. And I think it was for lunch. And so in these different drinks, they compared like low and high calorie versions of the drink with almost 200 calories different between them. And regardless of the drink that the individuals got, they ate the same amount at lunch. Mm. So even the people who ate, drank 200 more calories ate the same amount of food as the people who had 200 less calories. So they end up just eating more overall. And there was another study that used that same kind of drink formulation as that last one. And they found that the sensory characteristics of the drink, like if it was thicker, like a smoothie, helped suppress appetite and subsequent calorie consumption, where obviously things like a traditional Coke has no consistency. Yeah. So there's no feeling like you're eating anything, right? 
So I'm not trying to say that you can't gain weight or have added sugar be an issue from snack foods. Of course you can, we know that is true, but it just seems like these sugar sweetened beverages are a little bit unique and problematic because again, we just tend to add them on top of whatever we're eating They don't because of their lack of kind of satisfaction. That's super interesting. Um, so are you, so you kind of tease the, the, the diet soda uh, mm. angle here. So let's maybe pick that up, which is our, with sugar sweetened beverage, are we are we just saying like blanket get rid of them, or is there some space in there for whatever the Coke Zeros, the the Diet Pepsis, et cetera? Mm, yeah, I think for the most part, I do recommend that people just remove sugar sweetened beverages from the diet, particularly if you're drinking them and you want weight loss. Um, you know, if you're eating a whole unprocessed foods diet, you have the health performance weight goals that you want, you're working in the Sprite every day into your caloric budget. I mean, keep going more power to you. But for other people who aren't quite there yet at their goals and are looking for diet changes, to me, this is a really obvious, clear first step. I mean, you could even argue the first step before the 800 gram challenge. I don't know if I really want that on the record, but you know, it's so obvious to me of like where we can make some improvements. It's like, yeah, yeah. let's just eliminate sugar sweetened beverages from the equation. From a nutrient point of view, there is no argument to, to really include them, right? Um, and I would even say this is my recommendation for kids as well. You know, mm. and I know that it's hard with kids to do full sale elimination with parties and social events and all of that stuff. But I just feel rather strongly like you know, you want to think about this as setting long-term habits. And this is not a food that we have a lot of evidence to suggest that people are doing really well with its consumption on a mm-hmm. general kind of general scale, right? That's mm-hmm. really hard to make a good case for it. So yes, ultimately getting back to kind of what you said, are, are diet kind of options, the best replacement? I think they're great replacements. I think water is a great replacement. I think flavored carbonated water is a great replacement, but diet options for sure are good replacement replacements. And I think it's, a little frustrating when you see all the anti-sweetener stuff in social media land, because if diet sodas help people lose weight, they've ultimately reduced their health risk, potentially improved mm-hmm. their quality of life and all the stuff that we've talked about. Like, this is a really good thing. We have to understand that this is a good replacement for the traditional sweetened beverages. Um, and interestingly enough, we're, we're recording this close in time to when a new study came out about sucralose, which is a sweetener that is in some diet sodas and drinks. And the study basically was potentially saying that this compound um, could be cancer causing. And it's actually not sucralose directly. It's a metabolite of sucrose. Maybe it's an impurity in the process of creating sucralose. Maybe it's partially um, broken down when people eat sucralose. But the idea that was kind of all over the headlines is this sort of secondary metabolite could be cancer causing and and because I've already received a few questions about it we're talking about diet soda we're going to we're going to talk about it <laughs> right now quite mm-hmm. briefly um i think one of the first thing that when stuff comes out like this you know especially on sweeteners which are always a contentious topic i think it's easy to forget that there has been a lot of work to date to show that they're safe and that's why they continue to be in the food supply so it's like you think a new study comes out and it's like oh my gosh this is the first time that we've looked at sucralose Mm -hmm. and like actually this thing's been really well studied for some Mm -hmm. time right like this is not the first time somebody considered risks associated with sucralose so try to keep that in mind that the you know one new study coming out cannot overturn all the work that has been done um but to kind of point out some of the weaknesses of this study that came out And it's really not against the authors, it's against the media interpretation of it. But one, it was a cell study. Um, You know, it wasn't done on humans. And I know that's hard to understand why that makes it less relevant, but there's so many theories about what happens in terms of nutrition 
that, you know, maybe play out in a cell study and a Petri dish. But once we translate looking to a human diet, it just doesn't work the same way. And this is even true of some food choices that you'll hear, you know, whatever or toxic. And it's like beans or something like that. It's like, okay, well, that's, that's not really how it plays out when we see humans eating this. So that's sort of the first limitation is the cell study. Um, but then two, the concentrations that they use to cause these negative effects, i.e. the dose, which we talk mm -hmm. about all the time, is so high and so not relevant to the concentrations that people would be consuming on any sort of normal consumption of this. So it, it just is not something to worry about. But to kind of close that out, like, yes, I think diet soda is a good replacement. Yes, I still think it is safe. But I also want to add that I don't think a diet, um, a healthy diet is only comprised of sweeteners, right? Mm -hmm. A healthy diet is comprised of whole unprocessed foods. Um, but yet something like a diet soda can be safe within the context of that. Okay. So just, to, just so that I'm make sure I track here. The thing that, you know, I've always heard, you know, in the anti-soda, whether it's the diet soda or whether it's regular soda or whatever else, it's always been very, if not entirely focused on the sugar. Mm -hmm. And whether that's like the sweetener part of it, whether it's just the sugar is the devil, processed sugar is mm -hmm. the devil, whether it's the aspartame, or right. I think that's what's in diet yeah. soda, yeah. whether it's the sucralose thing, it's always been that, that's been the devil. But I, so I asked this just to make sure that I'm hearing, what you're saying is that the problem here, the challenge here, the reason why we need to be asking this question is mm -hmm. not specifically the sugar, but the calories that come along with it. Mm -hmm. And it's that, that's really the issue not the like scaremongering of like sugar, 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 but it's the calories that come alongside or come along with that particular sugar. That is the reason not, that is the reason to avoid these things perhaps. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's the dose at which we consume it. It's, mm -hmm. it's the, the re, uh, properties of the food that lead to a high dose of consumption. Yep. More so than we see with other foods. And so it, you know, it's always hard to single anything out in nutrition. And yet in this case, we do see some isolated effects of, okay, yeah, when we have these foods, because of the properties of these foods, the dose ac accumulates quite quickly. Makes sense. Okay. Last question yeah. I think I've got for you, which is, um, you know, we just, we did a, a, a hot cakes on um, chocolate milk in schools. Mm -hmm. So I think about that. Uh, at least as it relates to sugar sweetened beverages a little bit, which is like, should we just be res like restricting this? You know, should we, is there anything we can do to restrict given that, as you said at the top, it's like the largest, it's the largest source of added sugar, you know, generally mm -hmm. speaking for our diets shouldn't like, why is this thing still on the shelves? Like, is there anything we should be doing or that should be done to eliminate that or, or certainly limit it? Yeah, there's certainly people trying different efforts. Um, one of the things that's been passed around a little bit is is warning labels on sodas. Mm. A lot like warning labels that we see on alcohol, you know, alcohol yep. consumption and birth defects, potentially a warning label on soda. And the one that I've seen is something like drinking beverages with added sugar contributes to obesity, diabetes, and tooth decay. And that would just be kind of like a box warning label. Yep. Um, as far as I understand, warning labels as like a law were passed in San Francisco in 2015, but then it was struck down in 2019. Mm. And there's issues, of course, related to the First Amendment, to something like a warning label. Um, of course, you know, the manufacturers kind of consider something like that as unduly burdensome. Um, you know, I, I think it's hard to have sympathy for manufacturers of those types of products. 
Um, and I hear you from a health perspective. I also have to, though, just kind of air the concern that I'll, there's a lot of jobs and economy tied up into these products too. Mm -hmm. So it can be easy to think like, oh, we should just get rid of them. And it's like, okay, well, it's not like that's not going to have any ripple effects, right? right? So, you know, we do want to think about that um, before we just kind of cut a whole portion of the economy out. But I think really the issue that kind of got this um, struck down was what we talk about all the time. It's not, and in fact, what you just kind of were questioning me on it. Yeah. It's not the sugar per se, it's the excess sugar. <laughs> and so again, one single Coke isn't the problem. It's the c massive consumption of it above and beyond somebody's caloric need that is the problem. Um, you know, again, sugar itself, does not lead to obesity. Excess sugar leads to obesity. So to have that on the label, it's just isn't quite the accuracy of what happens. It's not the same link that we see with smoking. Right. Right. And so yep. and so so I can see why this is a problem. Um, other efforts include things like a sugar sweetened um, beverage tax. There's no states that have these taxes. Um, there are some taxes in like Boulder, Colorado, um, District of Columbia, Philadelphia, a couple other cities. You know, one of the things about the sugar sweetened beverage tax, um, I'm just not convinced that it really changes behavior. And in mm -hmm. fact, there's a meta-analysis published last year that I'll put in the show notes, which sort of says the same thing. You know, yeah, the price increases for the consumer, um, sales locally might go down, and then people might just go outside of the boundaries to buy their soda. <laughs> and they have this unfortunate line in there that, quote, changes in sugar sweetened beverage consumption were not significant, right? Mm -hmm. End quote. So if we're after this idea of habit change, it doesn't really seem that the taxes are doing it. So that's really kind of why I'm not the biggest fan of, of these taxes. It's just not enough on any single beverage to really change somebody's habit. Mm -hmm. Um. And so I do sort of fall on the line of thinking about how can we restrict this in a way that is fair and encourages better behavior choices. And I still think about regulating kind of locations, um, mm. access to it are the ways to go. Again, kind of like cigarette and alcohol, and I'm, I'm not totally sure how to pull it off. And the reason why I still believe in some type of regulation around it is we find that consumption splits are along some really unfortunate trends that we tend to find higher consumption of sugar sweetened beverages with low education, low income, and even some differences in race. And there's also evidence to suggest that marketing is at play here, that they're targeting these specific groups to consume it more. And which is just like, uh, you know what I mean? Like how, like, okay, like sure. Let it be for people to choose and let it work into their diet based on education and calories and all that stuff. But when we see how it's playing out and to see that there's dis disparities based on education and income, it's like, okay, I think we maybe could do some better choices here in terms of regulation. Um, and mm. so, you know, I think there's some ideas that again, maybe it's like there's limiting places where it can be sold, or maybe within convenience stores, there's a limited amount that you can sell and not every sort of refrigerator is only full of them, that the diet is actually more of the choices or the water or something yeah. like that, um, to help limit consumption around it and to encourage better behaviors while still also acknowledging it can be a product and that people can make have the freedom to choose it if they want. Mm. Uh, okay. I think I said this last time, but last mm. question for real is, no. <laughs> do you imagine that, you know, I think about your point about, um, cigarettes mm. and the fact that there's a much clearer 
correlation between cigarettes and let's just say, you know, lung cancer. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine that at some point we'll be able to connect sugar sweetened beverage with fill in the blank, obesity, uh, diabetes, et cetera? Or is it just like, that's not going to be the silver bullet here. And so there, so we can't rely on that to be the impetus by which we can regulate the, where they're sold or age gate, who gets to buy them, all the, all the things that we can do or, or labels, all the things we can do with cigarettes because we've been able to create or, 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 um, draw those two things together, right. The disease and the, and the product, or we is do you imagine that ever will happen, or is it just like that's not going to that's not going to be the road that this one takes? I don't think it's going to be the road. I think it there again. There, I'm sure there are people who enjoy like a Coke a day, and their diet's great, and yeah. they're healthy, and so that's just the kicker. It does come back yeah. to this dose thing, and it could be other foods that people are overeating, and so it's so not black and white at all. Yeah, that um, I come back to kind of the restriction, the access, even targeted marketing, I think is, yep. I'd like to that get that eliminated immediately. Um, those types of steps that I think are gonna have much more of an inroad than any type of kind of full restriction based on the sugar product itself or even the sugar sweetened beverage tax idea. Yeah, um, I remember a mutual friend, Pat Sherwood, always, mm. always uh, uh, advocating for a solid diet Coke a day. Never yes. killed anybody. <laughs> and we can say he's a pretty healthy guy. So I think I think your point is taken. All right. Thank you. Thank you, everybody out there for listening. Uh, thank you for your ratings and your reviews. EC and I will, uh, will be back next week for another episode of The Consistency Project. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. If you have a friend or family member who you think would enjoy this content, please share it with them or share on social media or leave a five-star rating and review if you're enjoying the content. It really does help the podcast grow. And if you want even more bonus content, you can sign up for my email list. Every Thursday, I drop additional new bonus content to my email list. You can join at optimizemenutrition.com slash email. That's also how you can get your question in the queue by hitting reply to any email. Again, that's optimizemenutrition.com slash email. Thanks so much.